0: I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about green data centers, or how do we make data centers green? Because fundamentally, they are going to use electricity, but the sources of that electricity, how we respond to shortages of electricity, and cost signals about that electricity um, are all critical to consider in how a green data center or green infrastructure gets created, Uh, and that includes Edge, in which we also discuss. So we talk about a lot of the factors that go into building and creating green infrastructure, including the motivations and signals that will hopefully change the market. This is an absolutely important and vital consideration for us, classic Cloud 2030 material, and I know you will enjoy it. Today's topic is Green Data Center. Uh, I actually think that considering the political uh, COP, was it COP21 or COP26? um, So this is incredibly topical. Uh, Don, if you want to get us rolling on Green Data Center, I would love to open the topic. Sure. So we have, so I work for WWT. It's a
1: very large systems integrator. Um, we deal with um, some of the largest companies um, uh, in the world. Uh, one of the one of the uh, you know one of the great concerns is um, you know everybody's going to cloud, right? And um, and everybody's losing their data center. Everybody's vacating their data center. Well, somebody should should have asked the question: Is is Who builds, you know, who builds the systems for the, for the hyperscalers? Um, The answer is, is we do. Um, So, I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of, we're, we're very large in the data center space. We have lots of customers, um, both hyperscalers and, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, sort of one tier down from that, maybe you can call it, maybe we'll coin a new term, megascalers, that. Are not going to you know that 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 are not going to cloud that are that will never be um, uh, moving their business in, in t- completely into public cloud, um, and you can think of those organizations as you know people and organizations that really truly care about their data: healthcare service providers, banks, insurance companies, um, those kinds of organizations. As we've seen, sort of in the last, especially in the last year, we've seen lots of those organizations make um, public commitments to, um, to, to, uh, to, uh, Rob's having like an allergy attack. Um, yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm turning up my video to not be distracting while get it out of my system. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty good though. Lots of those organizations have made very public commitments to being, making their businesses carbon neutral. um, But in particular, they've made commitments to making their data centers carbon neutral. Um, I've been working with with, uh, some of our largest customers, in particular banks, um, around what that really means um, and what what changes they would need to make um, both to... The you know the physical infrastructure that they're running, right? But also to their behavior, right? To their budgeting process, um, and one of the things, and frankly, I'm look really looking to um, figure out is what is the business case for, for 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 going to carbon neutral, right? Everybody agrees that it's the right thing to do, right? absolutely uh, uh you know we need to we need to we need to move to an economy where um, where power is sourced from 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 green sources it's used you know it's used efficiently but as much as I treat this as an engineering problem and at some you know we're all engineers on this call um it's accountants that run the world um, uh the so the question is the, the thing the, the biggest problem i've been struggling here struggling with is how to wrap a business case around moving your data centers green um i actually don't think it's i mean there's lots of technology to to apply most of it's invented some of it needs some more refinement um but it's not really a hard technological problem Um, But it is a very, very interesting and complex business problem. So with that, I'm looking for input and ideas around, uh, you know, around this, because I I think fundamentally it's important. Um, You know, you know, I'm a father. I got kids and probably within 10 years, you know, I'll be a grandfather and it's going to matter even more to me then.
0: So, You had a question. Go ahead.
2: Um, I have a question and a comment. I think it's location dependent and whether or not the country or the region in which that data center resides, it has carbon tax or carbon credit system in place. And that's one of the key drivers for the business case of taking your data center green. The other is whether or not you can get paid back from the Um, grid infrastructure in that location, right? Like we have a big movement in Canada for carbon carbon tax and carbon credit systems. This is a government thing and would affect every province. And in our case, some provinces are pushing back, some are accepting of it, but this is going to happen one way or another. And I think that's one of the key drivers. The other is whether you can... If you're a large organization with a big data center or multiple big data centers, how can you play the game with your municipality or region with respect to power, right? Wherever there's smart metering going in, there's also a way to recover some of that cost in either tax credit or electricity credit by reducing your stress on the grid for that data center. And that's how a lot of our clients are looking at making that business case. Secondly, I would say the issue is generational. Those of us that are sort of nearing that, you know, golden line of we're not going to work anymore, whether we like it or not, versus we still wanna work, but you know, may not be able to. Uh, those issues of people retiring out of the profession and the drain on that workforce and the knowledge that's being uh, swept aside, so to speak, not being captured, is not being imparted to the younger generation. And therefore, that causes great impact on the operations of that company from the perspective of data center operations. Right. You're not necessarily going to have all of those people still. um being part of the workforce or passing on the knowledge to the younger generation. And you're not going to have the same level of engineering skill because there's a shortage available to continue running it. That's another business driver. Um, I would say the third is that as MCUs themselves are being redesigned and refactored, and the entire hardware capabilities of the infrastructure are being um, miniaturized to a certain extent, and new, new materials and technologies are being used. You're going to you're going to have to make investment in those newer technologies. You might as well start doing it now, to offset the sunk costs that you could potentially still recover from the existing data center, which CFOs love, and put that investment towards newer technology that is less carbon-emitting or less um, consumptive of electrical? Just some of what we're working with. Does
1: that help? It does. Um, I mean, what I just, so first of all, I'm Canadian. I'm from, I'm actually from Calgary. So, I mean, I get, I, I, I understand the perspective of, of uh of that 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 you're bringing to the table, um. I mean, what you I mean, I mean, correct me if correct me if I misinterpreted that, but you mostly you mostly just des- described sticks, right? You 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 described um, uh, rather than incentives to 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 uh, to make money or to save money on balance. uh, It was about, I don't want to pay it. You know, I don't want to pay carbon tax. I don't want to pay. I don't want to have to buy carbon credits. Right? Um, Is there, you know, is there a positive use case, you know, is there a positive business case for this, which is, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to spend the same amount of money, but I'm going to get more out of it. Right.
2: Okay. So let me break that into two parts, if I may, to answer. Um, so, you know, what Ford is doing in Ontario, which is pushing back as much as possible, right? I'm in Toronto. So that being said, I think the positive spin on it is to appeal to the. Sort of areas of the business and some of it is CFO driven on their sustainability initiatives, right? I hear tell coming out of Ottawa, there will be plans to do this and there will be you know, government programs that companies can use. I don't know that that holds true in the Biden administration. Um, I can't comment on it because I don't know U.S. law well enough. But I do know that in part of the infrastructure bill, I think that there is some component uh, being allocated to greening of technology. And that would be a positive business case. But certainly over the next year, it's going to happen. And and I would look at sustainability as the um, corporate value to build that business case around. That's part one. In the, is there any other positive to it? I would say innovation would be the business driver, not looking to the government or any other program, but just that We're a sustainable organization. We also want to be innovative by being innovative. We can influence the rest of our industry. And if they're the big behemoth or Kahuna in that sector, then others will follow. They can start their own movement for that. Um, And it looks good from the opt perspective, public side, from their finance side, from their sustainability side. They can use it for branding. They can use it for marketing. There's a lot of little items that you could drop into that business case that would pique the curiosity and attention of business partners across the organization. I think that's the positive thing to put on it.
1: So, following up on that, in some of the other discussions I've been having, sort of around the industry, is if you sort of roll the clock forward, um, uh, 20, 30 years. Um, and you're not a company that has led uh towards sustainability and you know being having a a, a, a zero carbon impact. Um people people, the world is gonna be a, a much different place. And people will not be doing business with you unless right. they look at your history and say, you, you know, you were, you, know you, you were either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. And we won't do business with you unless you're part of the solution.
2: Um, I Sorry to interrupt, but I think that that's happening a lot faster than you may be aware, because if you look at um, generationality and the Gen Z workforce that's coming on board, they're adamant. And that's enough of a, of a driver that it's not gonna take even 10 years For companies to wake up or become woke to the fact that this is a key issue for their workforce,
1: but is that the business driver? Right, is that the business driver?
2: That
1: that, you know, if you're the CEO of Citibank, which is where the company that they made a very public announcement that they're going to be carbon neutral by 2030, it's the their data centers carbon neutral by 20. It's what's consumed my life for the last few months. you know, if they, you know, if you look at their business, right, in 2030, will people be doing business with them unless they're, you know, unless they are carbon neutral, right? I think that's probably not.
2: Yeah, no, 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 no. I I agree. It's the driver. I'm just saying that the timeline of 2030, it's going to happen much faster than that, because as their incoming workforce is so much younger whether they're millennial or gen z gen z is absolutely adamant about saving the planet and environmentally friendly etc cetera, etc cetera. the millennial workforce is jumping on board with that so they may have this internal push as well as the external push of doing business no companies will look at those with a legacy of we didn't do enough and we didn't do it fast enough and not do business with them for sure Absolutely no question, but I don't think it's going to take another ten years. I think it's going to happen much faster than that. Within five years, they're going to face that both from the internal side as well as the external side. I've, does that clarify?
0: It does. I I want I'm going to jump in with a more a more skeptical viewpoint because as much as I want you to be right, I'm 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 I'm, I'm skeptical. Just because I feel like, ultimately, if you want to run green data centers and you don't know how to do it, which we need to get to, then then you will just choose to use a provider who says they are running a green data center, right? One of the just just sweep it under the rug by using moving everything to Amazon, running you mm-hmm. know, moving everything to a, a cloud provider. Um, I mean, it's and but and you might say, okay, those aren't those aren't carbon neutral environments either, but, you know, it's not my problem. I've outsourced it, um, to someplace. I, so I'm just more skeptical that, that this is a, you know, if that type of pressure is, is in place or I'm going to buy more and, and uh, you know, I don't find buying carbon offsets an adequate solution for this. And maybe, maybe, you know, we could stake out this conversation isn't about, Oh, I can plant trees to get, a, get around my data center problem. Um, you know, we we, my hope here is that what we're going to talk about are real things that people are doing because they've you know they have, um, and uh, you know the social impact is is huge. I, I'm not trying to downplay it, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to be price triggers that are going to drive people to say, "I've got to have a more efficient data center. I've got to use a non-carbon source because the fuel cost for my data center went up." Um, or because, like Joanne was saying, that I'm, I'm I've got peak charges that I need, you know, that that are are actually painful. So I, I need to shed load during peak time. Um, right? We're not making, you know, servers themselves are only, and cooling systems are only marginally improved from that perspective. And we typically eat up the improvements in Jevon's paradox. Has been my my experience for that. So we we build more efficient whatevers, but then, you know, use up that, use up that efficiency. It's going to have to be, you know, there isn't enough power to run my data center and I have a huge financial incentive to turn it off during peak or there, you know, the cost of using fuel from the the source has become prohibitive. And so I, you know, I'm going to move my data center to a more Northern climate, put it bottom of the ocean or, you know, put it next to a dam. So I, I don't have to Hey, the the fuel cost. I'm skeptical, but I mean, that's, those to me are more predictable drivers.
3: But I'd I'd add, Rob, that um, those are business drivers. Um, Sustainability is is good, um, but it's not typically something that's, you know, if when times get lean and fuel prices go up or um, you lose your biggest customer, the first thing to go is going to be that, because that fundamentally doesn't employ people, doesn't keep your business running. So um, I'd say if, if if the reasons to do, to green your data center are uh, found, founded in business uh, principles, like what you're talking about, you know, my costs, lowering my costs so that I can raise my profits, then they're gonna live long-term. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to rely on local or state or even federal governments um, for, Canada or U.S. to um, be the driver because those credits that they're giving out are going to dry up sooner than later, as soon as the administration
0: um, changes I, or the political winds change. So we 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 are going to have. I mean the, and and this is outside of the purview to me. But the you know there, we have to plan that the there will be, um, taxes and premiums on carbon on carbon fueled infrastructure. I, I don't. I mean I don't see what other what other voice the you know global uh, governments are going to have uh, I, I think it's
3: you know it's it's wise to work that into your business plan but to make it as a foundational part of it rather than the profit and loss I think is a mistake is mu- much like um, I think GM has made a bet as an example that the the subsidy that Tesla has been Benefiting from for quite a long time. And it's really helped them become, you know, the trillion dollar company that they are or aren't. <laughs> debatable mm-hmm. right now, I guess, whether or not they're really a trillion dollar company, whether or not the Hertz deal falls through. But um, but that being said, GM has totally staked their future on be riding that wave. And if a new administration comes in and kills those tax credits, GM uh, GM's going to be holding the bag that. I don't think they want to hold. Um, as far as now, their cars suddenly are going to be more expensive going to future. and the the all the fundamental building blocks to make those cars are going to be fundamentally more expensive because possibly the new administration in a couple of years is not going to be as a subsidy friendly to building new mines to build new battery sites
0: and all yeah, that the I, I would blocks. I would argue that this, that those subsidies are are helpful, but fundamentally, they are acknowledging that the fuel costs for carbon-based fuels are going to be make uh, car, uh, gas gas cars too expensive. Yeah, I, I, I mean that, that that to me yeah. is that to me is, and and I think this is what we're saying for the, the the this conversation, right? We we need for for all the reasons we're saying we need to acknowledge that a carbon-based you know a data center that's that uses carbon something based on carbon as its primary fuel source. Is is obsolete from a planning perspective. Okay. I mean, we're all in agreement for this. I I, I don't so, we don't have to belabor the point. It's it's a matter of I mean of
3: fuel cells are a pretty solid alternative to uh, diesel generators, right? And they're mm-hmm. they're about as friendly as you can get uh, while still using natural gas or methane. Um, and those things are Relatively viable, multiple companies have been using them, certainly as backup, in some cases, primaries for a while. Um, that gets way far down the road as far as getting off um, uh, those spikes that you're talking about as far as uh, you know, the, um, the business costs and uh, giving them a rel- reliable, pretty green alternative to diesel generators, which nobody wants in their backyard yeah. for a variety of reasons. I,
0: I actually think that the spikes are gonna become more pronounced if, if we have a significant amount of electrical uh, capacity being used. Um, if people are shifting away from carbon fuels for cars, for buildings, for heat, right? All of the sources are actually gonna, the grid is not already at capacity. In Texas, Sorry. it's yeah. at capacity by design. They, they yeah. built scar- scarcity into the profit model. Yay for Texas. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's not just texas though <laughs> no it, it's not Tex, texas texas is just leading the nation
3: um, well, I, I hope texas grid operators learned a little bit
4: from last year so they don't
3: yeah they exactly learned they're going to make a lot of money by having <laughs> scarcity
0: in the system
4: well, well yeah it, it's <laughs> not the first time it happened in texas on it's not no. not the last time so, it's gonna happen uh, so, but yeah i mean you're right, Rob, that power scarcity is going to be an issue. It's already been acknowledged that here in Canada, in Ontario, there will be an increase in brownouts just because, I mean, we we have our nuclear plant that's getting close to end of life. There's no plan to replace it. And I mean, as far as carbon neutrality goes, nuclear is very powerful because it gives you a steady supply of of uh, of, of energy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, you have to deal with the, with the nuclear waste, but um, ultimately, you're not consuming fossil fuels. Uh, it's all steam powered, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. go, going back to, to other parts of the conversation, um, I, I, w- I would agree that 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 money is ultimately the, the driver for, for adoption of uh, of uh, of green initiatives, um, uh, Don. I mean, as far as your dilemma goes, um, perhaps the 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 biggest advantage for, uh, as a as a provider on uh, trying to do this, steer customers into green initiatives is to do the math with them and, and say like, this is where it's going to start paying off for you. It's it's the same idea uh, as like reserved instances in in, in the cloud, like at, like mm-hmm. nine. Let's say you you pay twelve months in advance. It, it's it's more expensive now, but nine months in you start saving. You got to do the same thing with, with with the with the green energy thing. Like, at what at what point in the future is it going to start paying off? And anyone who who is in it for for the long term will recognize that. that green energy is going to win out for them in the longer term. Um, mm. I, I mean, I, I was saying this like, so company I work for, Geodap, we we, we we are a telematics company, but one of our biggest selling points of our, of our, of our system is, uh, is that we help our, our customers manage their, their fleet more efficiently, we, and, and we do this by example. We we ourselves have green initiatives. We, um, we 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 focus on sustainability for ourselves as well. Um, so we, we we basically practice what we preach. Um, which which brings me to the last thing I, I wanted to do, to mention as well. It's a bit of a, of a digression from from the topic, but still very relevant, I, I think. And that is, energy is not going to be the only thing. To be, uh, that's a concern in in the green data center. Uh, e waste should be concerned as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: So I mean that is that, that is, so when so there's there's what there's there's what's called scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. Um, and the decommissioning part of this is part of scope three emissions. Um, absolutely.
3: So, I mean, aren't we fundamentally talking about, um, I mean, to make any of this possible, what goes into the data center has to be maximum efficient, you know, Mm -hmm. using DC instead of AC as the the backbone for the, the the power systems, um, using more efficiently, um, scaled and sized racks, you know, that, Mm -hmm. um, that aren't wasting a bunch of extra space, um, using evaporative cooling instead of, um, and, and instead of high back um, treating the equipment as uh, cattle instead of pets mm-hmm. um, um, I, I think mm-hmm. all of these things are are difficult because um, uh, for particular providers because of uh, you know operational switchover costs you know they've done things a certain way for so long that it's very uh, and their, their staff and their engineers aren't trained to build. For any of these tech technologies, so they mm-hmm. they wastefully continue to uh, oh. use old tech and move forward. But um, so there, I think there's a business case that could be made, um, or should be made. And certainly, when I've been at providers when we we're building data centers at large scale, that's exactly the reason for doing this stuff: is that we built um, uh, data centers cheaply and. Um, And essentially we're leads compliant, not because necessarily, I mean, we wanted to be sustainable, but it wasn't, that wasn't the reason. The reason was that they were more efficient and it saved the company a ton of money that we could build a data center um, at less time at less cost. And um, certainly over the life of the data center, um, as we needed to swap out gear typically was um, took a um, a fraction of the time that it would doing it in very old fashioned traditional Mm -hmm. ways. So I think if, if you start focusing focus on that then that um to kind of co-opt the phrase that means in a business perspective it's sustainable that it's not going to be it's not going to be determined on you know how many carbon offsets you get you can buy or um what kind of subsidy you can get from the local or state or federal government it's actually the reason for you doing it is is based on business principles And then also it has these other benefits that it's, you're greening the data center, that you're doing things that make the data center more efficient. Thus, um, you know, make your neighbors a lot happier. And also um, uh, for a variety of reasons, you're you're not as noisy, not as traffic, um, and you're not sucking up everyone's water and power. (laughs) That always makes your DC neighbors very happy. Um, um, And you're not getting this massive tax break on top of it, or at least not as massive, which always pisses off the neighbors, um, they, mm-hmm. they see that, and they go after them, and um, it's always a point of contention. So the less that you're kind of taking advantage, um, using that very uh, term very liberally, taking advantage of the system for credits and, and all these you know, kind of uh, perks that you'll get from the government, um, the gov- different layers of government, um, will make your neighbors very much happier and will make it uh, uh, the data center um, kind of uh, PR part of it, which is definitely part of running a data center um, a lot easier. So yeah. does, that all, does that all sound make sense to you guys? Or uh, did I miss anything? It, 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 let me uh,
4: it, it makes sense. I I'm Sorry, Don. No, go ahead. Uh, I, I was just gonna gonna uh, dig in on, on one of the, the the points that you mentioned. There's uh, Sean, the uh, the old tech part. Uh, I mean, the, the, there's things like the CPU architecture. In right? Intel is ubiquitous, but it's a like glutton in terms of power compared to ARM. Um, sure. there, there's all you, you can also consider ASICs, uh, like the uh, domain specific. Uh, uh, like uh yeah. chipsets uh um, we we we've seen uh, like already in, in in the in the blockchain field that that uh the ones who are winning the 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 mining race are the ones who have uh dedicated hardware for for that that are less power hungry that than just generic uh computing um so so yeah uh, i i agree with you on that point john that 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 tech also needs to evolve. Yeah, but the, um,
3: I would point out mm-hmm. that I've been involved in various projects over the years to make use of ARM or ASICs or other specific um, uh, technologies that are very, very uh you know specialized, but uh, would allow for a very specific use case to be more efficient, thus, you know, useless power, uh, you know. Uh, crunch data faster, whatever the, the net benefit, but ultimately to save money um, and to um, do things faster. Yeah. Um, ultimately those things, uh, my opinion, fail um, it, with a few exceptions. So like specialized streaming gear for Netflix. Yeah, that makes sense because that's a fundamentally part of their business. So of course they're gonna you know, try to make the whole caching system and the way that they uh, transform data um, into uh, bits and bytes to get it to their customers, that makes you know, sense and that's never going to go away. They're always going to want to make that more efficient um, and, uh, and uh, less costly. So that, that's relatively easy for them to focus on and, and, uh, and uh, um, well, just that. But for other businesses, especially a, a data center who has many customers or many types of internal customers, different uh, workloads and use cases, um, it becomes uh, typically buying gear that's essentially um, workload specific, or uh, uh, not putting it in another way. It's not capable of running any workload. You know, it's it's uh, perhaps it's uh, c- uh, CPU bound or memory bound or um, other things, um, or it has specialized cards popped into all the servers, or the switches are very special, very expensive, so you want to use them for something specific. Um, all that kind of stuff typically doesn't bear out my experience. You know, you, you buy it, you have great plans. And then within like a year, you realize, oh shit, it's in the wrong place. Or I can't use it for that because some of the, the drivers change that fundamentally make this stuff work. And that stuff ends up sitting idle. Um, I've seen it many, many times. Um, so the, the more generic stuff that you can use for anything um, is the stuff that you end up using? My experience to the end, to the very last day that you that you can um, that you end a life it and you you, uh, you know send it out and it gets chipped or whatever ends up happening
4: to it. Um, but perhaps yeah. the counterpoint to that would be the, the Apple M1 MacBooks, where yes, you, you you have a generic ARM processor, but you also have specialized hardware for video decoding, for audio decoding, which I mean at at this point, yes, it's going to new technologies for video and audio are going to come out, but there's only so much compression you can you can do on on, on it. So that the velocity of, of it is likely not going to impact the um, the lifetime of the product.
3: Yeah I would just it, this is a kind of a, an
4: example of um,
3: Kubernetes being a pretty fundamental building block of how a lot of people are building things nowadays. And somewhat of the example that, um, you know, it followed in the example of Mesos and, and OpenStack of trying to build a, a better orchestration system. Um, those things have become rather ubiquitous in the business the, um, of uh, building stuff um, or, uh, with computers so much so that even now, um, the military and there's even, you know, fighter jets using the technology, but the um, there's a reason for that because it's, that is the fundamental building block that people have realized, Oh, I can build things off of this and I can build it not only off, I can really build in that uh, vein of microservices architecture, that kind of the the phrase got coined a a few years ago, but there is a reason for that because they're thinking where, how can I build this in many places? Or how can I make this work in many places? Um, and that but, generic but Sean, part of it is the
0: reason. Yeah, but Sean, here's, here's here's my dilemma with what you're saying. Sure. Um, those, those platforms, and, and I think this is a challenge for the industry in general, move towards maximum utilization and efficiency. Yep. Right, so like the fighter jet example is how do we move code through the system faster? Right? There's a mm-hmm. fixed amount of compute on a fighter jet. They're not, they're, not, they're not power budgeting. I mean, they are power budgeting. They want to be more efficient. Um, the, the, the thing that, and, and one of my problems is when we start talking about maximal efficiency, we get into Jevon's paradox. And so unless you're restricting the capacity of a system, we're, we're doing things that actually move more and more towards maximizing its efficiency. Kubernetes and OpenStack or VMware, none of those systems are actually designed to release unused resources. They, they're, they, right, they're designed for the resources to be dynamic, but that is fundamentally different than releasing unused resources. Right? There are not, and you, know, you might have people in cloud doing this, which is encouraging, where they're resizing their cluster or shedding load on on. On the size of their cluster based on their demand, and that is critically important. But you don't see people who are doing VMware clusters or, or captive v, or captive clusters or HPC clusters where they're resizing that cluster based on market conditions for the size. Right? You 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 buy a certain number of servers, you run VMware on them, and then anything that's not being utilized is lost. Is lost capacity. It's lost cost. So. The right. industry as a whole is always moving towards maximum utilization of the resources. Now, and granted, I, I don't want to see us buying servers and powering them on and running them at three percent capacity. That doesn't make sense either, um, right? The and, and and that we need to we need to deal with that. The thing that to me, where we were going earlier was the the answer to making a green data center is, is not utilizing the, what we buy more efficiently or buying more efficient chips. I think we need to do those things. But it's actually adapting to um, load changes in available compute and recognizing that the power component actually means that we're going to shut servers off or shed load. Sure. Potentially predictably, more likely unpredictably, um, in in these in these cases
3: and i've um, certainly been involved right. in those efforts as well to essentially um uh it, in a couple of ca- in a couple of cases um it was actually to reduce load for the power provider that they actually gave us a call and said hey we're running up against a problem we need to shed a couple of megawatts can you guys shut your um at least you know parts of your data center down for a while so that we can uh Get through this period of time, so we don't blow a transformer in your area. Um, and in, in, um, a data center that is capable of doing that is um, is uh, certainly you know where I think everyone wants to be, where you have that kind of control. But also, kind of flip side is that um, can you, when you hit um, peak workload, can you uh, move uh, your peak off to another provider? Um, Are you a data center that's capable of doing that? I think fundamentally it's possible, but you have to design into not only uh, being able to to move bits and bytes off to a second provider that you have a partnership with um, and being okay with that, (laughs) Um, but also that uh, um, just being able to handle the types of customers that would have that capability to, to move their workloads between two different data centers. Very few can. Um, a lot of people talk about it, but very few actually can really do that to the point where the data center says, "You know, I have to shut down half half my racks and rows because of whatever reason." Um, you know, so we're going to have to move move part of the load off to AWS for a week. Um,
0: you know, that and, would, and part of that part of the thing awesome. we're not we're not talking about here in the um, sense of uh, data of of the data center management is it's not just the data center. You could actually right. have failures, widespread failures based on power shutdowns that reduce throughput to the data center infrastructure around you, right? You might actually find that that power outages or brownouts are impacting the comms connectivity all through, right? So there's an edge, yeah. you know, I'd love to bring an edge. There's There's an well- edge element in this also.
2: Go ahead. Thank you, that's what I was trying to get to is that part of, part of this is also dependent on the design for use of edge computing. And does it make more sense in some cases to take some of the workload that's in the data center, not only because of latency and connectivity and communications, but simply because it would make a lot more sense and save a lot more cost to put some of that workload in edge and, and almost create what I'm calling now, and, and forgive me for the stupidity of the phrase, nodums, right? Like, like <laughs> think about yeah, think about like old phrase, like, directory systems and fiefdoms, for lack of a better word, and the nodum may be the solution where one of the nodes is the data center, but many of the other nodes are edge computing capabilities, whether it's and I'm not talking about edge devices like sensors or actuators or anything like that. I'm talking about actual localized edge servers. And, you know, I hearken back to my IBM days where when you're talking about moving workloads around in the mainframe world or even in the client server world, you have this notion of the triangle, right? Three point failover. And you literally would be able to move work from you know the A to B to C, whenever you needed to, either your increase in capacity or decrease in capacity. And there was a dynamic element to it. And the reason for that was, excuse me, on a global scale, you really never could predict in third world countries or even some second world countries when there was going to be a brownout. And now that we're returning to that motivation and that paradigm, I don't see why you couldn't do the same. Uh, to me, it comes down to an issue of design, and those NOTAMs could actually function in a way that most don't realize they're capable of by splitting the workloads, having something you know that's very uh, sort of mirrored, for lack of a better word, um, and use those edge devices as your intra measure, or even keep them as local and feeding up you know to to a higher level you know in the, in that uh paradigm of directory kind of scenarios or whatever the other point that i wanted to make
0: go, go ahead, ahead Rob. I'll, I'll come back to mine i'll come back
2: okay so the other point that i wanted to make also is think about how mainframes allocate space and how they allocate workloads i think we're getting back to that type of architecture uh where we were for so many years, you know, the reference in all of our brains was somewhat client-server. Mainframe is not necessarily different than client-server, but the architecture of the way the workload is generated, the way space is allocated, storage is allocated, and compute. That's not something we should poo-hoo, but something we may need to modernize and revisit, because if you look at the way equipment is now being sold, there's still a huge market for mainframes. And aside from the fact that they still make the best web servers, you know, uh, (laughs) I I foresee them making a comeback. They have, if you look at the stats, uh, quite a bit in the last few years. Do you you see
0: part of that architectural design as like a scarcity model? Because when I think back to mainframes, I think of mainframes were very good at Budgeting limited resources internal to their their systems. Right.
2: Yes, you, you and, could, and can... I see it. Yeah, I, I we're on the same page, Rob. I see it. Okay. You know, to your point about maximum capacity versus waste in that capacity, and why we're going up and down and, and trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, maybe mm-hmm. I'm just an old geek, but to me, mainframes do it very well.
0: They they we they were designed in a time when you know, the the compute cycle is very limited and actually this is yeah. i think uh, actually there's two pieces that you said uh, I I'd like to put together um because we are moving into a time to me right the green data center is a is a is a statement of carbon neutrality yes but also a time of 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 power scarcity of mm-hmm. coming power scarcity whether it's a cost trigger or a brownout trigger right your 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 statement that you know other countries, other, other regions have had irregular power, unreliable power, that it, it's, I think we need to reverse that and say, we've enjoyed an unusual period of reliability is from our power. Like we've gotten used to the idea that power is a right. We think of electrical power. And I know this because of the way Texas responded to the storm, electrical power is a right. Um, and it's, it's essentially like clean water, Electrical power, right? We've, we've, we've established that, but in a lot of places in the world, it's not. Um, they deal with power budgets that are, that are not unlimited amounts. And all of the environmental things that we're dealing with, they're starting to say, hey, wait a second, power is not an unlimited amount that you can just use. Water is not an unlimited amount that you can just use. Carbon is not an unlimited amount you can just use. We actually have to go back to quantities and scarcity um, and governing that model.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I would tell you that my experience with with factories, for example, in Mexico or in Lada Mm -hmm. gives me that perspective because you have to go on the basis that you're not always going to have 100 percent available electrical. And you're also not going to have 100 percent availability on your backup systems, meaning diesel or, or, or so generators or whatever.
0: Do In those in those cases, do you work within a window to be able to shed and respond or you just assume that it, it goes from 100 to zero?
2: Um, no, you work with a, a, a level of dynamics where you can offload to certain other systems. If you see that the brownout is coming or you know it's scheduled or whatever, it's almost like Creating the capability for a dynamic maintenance window where you can immediately shift from point A to point B. And this is where the notion of the old hierarchical, you know, Active Directory type layout just for a visual model or triangular system of three points where each will fail over to the other or share workload gives you that capability because you know, I'll give you a very quick case in point. We had, when I worked for Celestica, for example, we had two factories in Mexico, in Monterey, separated by a mountain. And on one side, you had great communication and on the opposite, you had virtually none, right? Just because of interference and whatever. And when you started looking at the communications that you had to create between those two setups and also the electrical, this is where you come back to these notions of allocations in a dynamic fashion and really that was the only way to solve the problem of network electricity power consumption workload failover firewall failover you name it it all comes down to that basic model and we were talking not small factories but millions of square feet operating three shifts a day seven seven days a week so they were always they always had to be up and with a lot of extra other stuff you know, coming in from the communication side, suppliers monitoring, customers monitoring, etc. When you get to those kinds of complexities in design point, your notion of infrastructure as a service or a code works really, really well. But the design point still goes back to something like what was done in old world mainframe, because you had to be dynamic.
4: Yeah,
3: I'd say part of what um, when you Talk about that. It sounds to me like you're just uh, practicing DR um, as as a practice. You know, plan. You know these certain disasters, kind of planned disasters, are going to happen. So you're just working out scenarios to uh, allocate resources correctly so you can continue to operate at, a, at maximum efficiency or
0: capability. I don't know that I they were planned. It's different. It's, to me, it's different than DR. It's 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 a, yeah. it's a Architectural shift in stance to say, um, I have to factor in scarcity and unreliability in what I had not considered unreliable before. Sure. and, and, and I'm just and, uh, saying uh, to in me a very that's, old school
3: engineering way of uh, a disaster is something becoming unavailable. Like part of my, you know, mm-hmm. one of my PDUs bus. You know, what do I do when I lose this row? Um, Or, you know, some jackass digs up the the fiber optics coming into my data center. What do I do in that case? You know, simple (laughs) scenarios of what happens when I lose this unit? How do I I keep running? Um, Old school, they would just, they would plan for a particular event for like a year. And that's their DR strategy. Um, I think most businesses nowadays want to actually plan for, you know, Disasters happening on a very small scale. What happens when I lose this key <laughs> server or what happens when I lose this rack?
0: So. The ultimate chaos monkey is what you're describing to me.
3: Well, I mean, I, I think that it, you know, Netflix in a lot of ways and some other companies that have focused on this are really smart. And that, um, I think Netflix has the benefit of having a very focused engineering, uh, uh, well, very focused engineering. So that's a lot easier for them um, in some ways. But um, but I think if you constantly break things on purpose, um, you know, shut things down or uh, plan mm-hmm. for that kind of uh, work and actually have that kind of uh, methodology, and I think a green data center go, fits right into that um, because essentially then, you're making everything very efficient. There are no wasted parts, there's no fat. Because uh, uh, in my mind, companies that can't practice disaster recovery on any scale or uh, multiple areas means there's a lot of fat in the system. They don't know how that workload works. So it's probably very inefficient. Um, And there's an interesting
0: dilemma though. And and this is something I've been struggling with Um, in, in an, in an edge system where you say I'm going to build resilience by having more capacity in the environment and not rely on the data, the, the data center, the cloud as much to do that work, yeah. those edges are not going to operate at 100% efficiency, right? They're going to operate in the 5 and 10% efficiency. They're probably going to be lower power systems and everybody will be happy with that. Um, and then you're going to say, all right, when I need to do big analysis, I might then offload that to a you know a green data center, but I might choose a time when the power is off peak and cheap and they, that there's spare capacity in that system. Um, I, I you know, so far we haven't really had the concept of spare capacity in how we look at clouds. They're just a lot perfectly elastic. And we haven't had much incentive except spot instances to think through when we consume power. Um, in those, right? There's no there's no real cost signal that says, Oh, I'm leaving a system up for 24 hours. It's gonna cost me more to have it, you know, sitting there. For the daytime hours in that in that data center, than in than in the nighttime hours, or vice versa, because it could be that it's solar. It's a solar powered data center, and they can they can operate at night. Um, but that I mean, Don, I, I know I know that you are, you have a tendency to look at this, and I'm I'm looking to you for wrap up. Um, you know, how do we how do we make better silicon or? systems more efficiently but I, I still keep coming back to it's how you it's when you turn those systems on and off that matters a lot more mm-hmm. so
1: i i quoted a statistic from a from it's a public thing from dropbox is they actually found that five percent of their power was going into decommissioned systems mm-hmm. right <laughs> systems systems that they had you know declared you know no longer no longer in use. But still powered on. Um, There is a big opportunity in the efficiency in just running the data centers efficiently. Um, uh, One of the the, the, I'm going to use the quote from this group, um, and 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 was I'm going to Sean, I'm going to co-opt your thinking on this, which is carbon neutrality is a knock-on effect from being efficient. Um, and it's, I think that's a really effective way to think about this. A lot of the things that we're talking about in terms of technology, right? They are, they're not about carbon neutrality. They're about running a data center efficiently. And it just turns out that, you know, the major input to a data center is power. And so that becomes, you know, that becomes the model for, or that becomes the metric for you know whether you're running your data center efficiently or not, um, I'm not quite as uh, subservient to Jevon's paradox as you are, Rob. Um, I actually think that there is a that there is that there is a limit to the workload that 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 uh, that, that 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 people want to compute, um, and we have to make that manifest. I do apologize. I have to run. I have a customer <laughs> meeting starting right now, um, so. Uh, but thank this you for been, thank you
0: for leading the conversation. I I found it really enjoyable. I yeah.
1: can't thank I can't I can't thank you guys enough for helping me with this. This has been this has been a, a a truly an interesting intellectual challenge over the last few months. Um, and so I thank you all very much for your input and your thoughts. It's been really enlightening. Thank you. Good luck with your customer. Good
0: Thank you, everybody. See you next week.
4: Wow,
0: there's so much to think about and hopefully get right in building these data centers and infrastructure in ways that work more efficiently, that respond to the changing conditions. Because if you are not considering the energy consumption of the applications that you're delivering in market and the ways you're doing it, then you are building applications that aren't just obsolete. They will likely not be functional in the future. And that is a critical thing to think about in regards to this topic. Please come in, be part of these conversations. They are dynamic and exciting and a lot of fun. And I want to hear your voice also. Join us at the2030.cloud, and I will see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and, you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community.
1: Thank you.